How are you this morning? <laughs> I'll give you grace this week. Um, that's <laughs> hey, something I just noticed. I, I uh, looked around, and usually we don't have children in here, so it hit me. I have to watch my language a little bit this weekend. So there's a bunch of kids in here, so can't use colorful language. Uh, hey, I wanted to address something real quick. And, and last night was a little bit different than this morning. Uh, because there's probably a, a ridiculous amount of people watching this, um, both who are supporters of this church and, and probably a lot who, who don't care for our church very much. And um, something I just wanted to address because it's what's on everyone's mind is why we are in this room this morning. And I'm going to tell you where I'm at. I'm going to tell you where I'm at on this and, and, and maybe open up a window as to how difficult of a position being a pastor of a large church is, and I'm not trying to sound like a hero or be rebellious or anything like that to what's going on. But um, the other night, uh, Friday night, I couldn't sleep for, for obvious reasons. And um, it actually wasn't that late. I'm kind of a late nighter anyways, but I went out about 11 o'clock. I got in my car and I just drove around town. And um, Saturday, the day after I'd done this, I'd talked to the, to, to the mayor of our community. I had a connection to the CDC, and I talked to them, and, and just, you know, just trying to do my due diligence on what we should do, and churches were closing like crazy, and, but again, that Friday night before that, I drove around, um, and all the nightclubs were packed, all the bars were packed, uh, the grocery stores that day had been packed, uh, Gold's Gym was packed, everywhere was packed, and as I drove around, I was praying, and I had my radio off, and I said, God, the local church is the hope and light of the city. And if we close our doors, God, where are people going to go? Where's the hope going to be? And listen, that's not to look down on any other churches that have closed their doors because until you've been in a position where five, 6,000 people are looking at what you're saying, it's a tough spot to be in. And um, I trust those pastors, and I'm good friends with those pastors that have chosen not to be open, but man, I just felt so strongly in my car that we're, that we're to keep the doors of the church open regardless if people come or not. And let me tell you a story. Last night after the five, I was standing right over here and there was a young lady, first time I ever met her, first time she'd ever been to our church, just moved down from uh, southern Chicago, the southeast side of Chicago, which is a rough part of Chicago. It's where my, my mother owns a home there actually. And um, she came up to me just, just weeping, crying after the lesson. And she said, pastor, she didn't even know my first name. She goes, pastor, I just moved to town my life's a wreck. I don't know anyone. I Googled any churches that would be open and open tonight, and you're the only one. And she goes, I'm so glad that you were open tonight. It changed my life tonight. And I just said, I'm really glad that we're open too. And again, that's not to sound like a hero. That's not to shame any other churches that have, uh, that have not kept their doors open. Um, but I'm just doing what I feel like God has called me to do. And, and pardon my language for a second, but the position the church is in right now in our culture is we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. Any way we go, if we were to close our doors, we have no faith. If we keep them open, we're insensitive and we don't love our community. And so there's no winning. So I'm just going to play the side of I'm going to just do what God tells me to do and, and keep the building open so people can come in and worship if they so choose to. My staff doesn't have to be here. Our volunteers aren't serving. Um, we couldn't talk the worship team out of serving. They, they wanted to be here. And... Uh, but I'm glad you're here. All that to be said, I'm just glad you're here. So we're going to continue with Matthew. We're in the book of Matthew. Um, we're in chapter 6 this week, and we're going to do the first half 
of chapter six. If you were not here last week, uh, Mike Lee did an absolutely fantastic job. He knocked it out of the park. He did a great job. And um, I was here on Saturday night last week, but Sunday I went out and I heard Dave, who, who also did a phenomenal job uh, with the second half of chapter five. If you're new to the church, there's, here's what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible. We're going to be in Matthew for, for quite some time. And um, we don't know what the coming weeks are going to look like. We don't know how things are going to shake down. But I know today we're going to, get, we're going to be in here. We're going to sit down. We're going to break open the word and, uh, and see what it says. So if you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament, maybe about 70, 80% through. Uh, most of the letters, if you do have a Bible today, are in red, right? R-E-D, hopefully R-E-A-D as well, but uh, R-E-D, they're going to be in red, which means Jesus himself is speaking these things. And what Mike talked about last week in chapter five is we talked about the condition of the heart, which we're going to talk about a little bit today too. But he talked about the condition of our relationship with God is kind of shown in how we treat other people. So if we treat other people really, really bad, it probably means our relationship with God isn't so hot either, right? Because it all kind of works together. Now, what we're going to talk about in chapter six today is this. We're only going to do half of it, so we're going to get through it kind of quickly. But we're going to ask two questions. What is our main focus and who is our main focus? Basically, why are we here this morning? Or why are we here any Sunday morning or Saturday night? Why are we doing this Christian thing, right? What is most important? Who is most important? So you should have received a notes handout when you walked in. I don't know how we got that to you, if we just kind of like threw it at you and you had to catch it or how the process was, but you should have received a notes handout when you came in. Everything is also on the app, right? So if you download the Experience Community app, everything is on there. If you're watching uh, online, I'm really, really glad you're watching and, and I hope that if you're watching online, you don't feel like I'm shaming you for not being here. Um, I understand that, that it's a very, very confusing time right now. So we are in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray for the other churches in our town. Listen, whether you like the man or not, we're going to pray for our president because I can't imagine that stress. Uh, we're going to pray for our, our local officials. We're just going to pray. We're going to do a lot of that, okay? And so um, let's pray together. Let's get into the word and um, let's just keep focusing on God, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. I want to thank you for the men and women in the house of God this morning. I wanna thank you, Lord, for all the people who, who took the time to watch online, God. I pray that YouTube doesn't crash or that the internet doesn't get too cluttered, that, that people can't watch the live stream, God. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for our local officials. We pray for the other churches in our city, God, and those pastors, Lord, that have tremendous stress on them. We pray for our congregations, Lord. We just pray, God. This is one of those times, Father, where we are reminded, Lord, that if we do not lean onto a sovereign, all-knowing, good God, that we will absolutely lose our minds, Father. So, Lord, we look to you, we lean on you, we trust you, God, that you have it all under control. God, keep your hand on us as we study your word today and protect us, God, and keep us safe. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna go back into Corey teaching mode here, okay? Jesus says this, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. 
But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are a sermon. It's almost all Jesus speaking, right? And there's no breaks in it. How we have chapters in the Bible, that's not originally how it was written. There was no pause. It's a whole lesson that he's speaking. And in the underlining current of the entire Sermon on the Mount that we're in the middle of is Jesus is asking, what is the state of your heart? Where is your heart? He's contrasting religion, right, religious practice, versus a relationship and a genuine connection to God. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees of that time, they had become self-righteous, which means they weren't living up to God's standards. They had created their own standards. The problem with us constantly creating our own standards, self-righteousness, our own level of being good, is it eventually turns us into hypocrites, because we can't even keep up with our own rules. And so we become hypocrites when we are self-righteous. Now the thing about hypocrisy is, it's everywhere, even with us. We can all be hypocrites. I find it funny when people say, well I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. And I'm like, do you go to work? Because there's hypocrites there as well, right? Do you go to the grocery store? Do you do anything? Because everywhere you go, we can all become hypocrites, right? And so Jesus, hates it when we are hypocritical, when we're dishonest. He doesn't hate people when they're dishonest or when they're being hypocrites, but he hates the action of hypocrisy because hypocrisy damages people. But all of us can fall to this. And a lot of us fall into it when we do good things but for the wrong motives. We're not really doing it because we love people, we're doing it because we want to be loved. And that's a hypocritical action. And a lot of us can fall into that. So Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Don't practice your righteousness just so you can be seen by people. Jesus says, be careful not to practice our righteousness in front of others. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't go out and do righteous things. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be kind or love people. It doesn't mean that when you go into Starbucks, you have to like hide your Bible in the corner. I don't want people to see that I'm reading this thing. That's not what that means. What it means is, is when we do good things out in public, we're not doing it so people can just think we're awesome, right? You ever been in like Starbucks and someone opens up their Bible and they're just like, <laughs> I've been there. I was in Just Love not too long ago and there was this young woman next to me and she literally, she pulled it out and like, and people, you know, I heard a couple people, what are you reading? She's like, my Bible. Good for you. That's wonderful, right? So here's what Jesus is talking about. He wants to get at the core of us. It's great that you're reading your Bible, but Jesus would ask that young lady, why did you pull it out like that? What is the heart behind that action? Is it just so people think you're really spiritual or are you genuinely trying to get something out of the word? Basically, who are you trying to get praise from? And Jesus says this, if you're the person at Starbucks, don't be that person at Starbucks. If you're that person that drops their Bible, right, so everyone thinks you're super spiritual and looks at you. If you're the one who has like, you know, a, a Jesus tattoo on your forehead and you walk around like, you know, acting better than everyone else. Jesus said, don't, don't do that, by the way. That's a bad idea. Jesus says you will receive a reward, but it's kind of a lesser reward. Which means if we go out and do good things just so people will like us, people may actually like us. 
But Jesus is saying, I have a better reward for you than a bunch of likes on your Instagram, right? I have an eternal reward for you. So if you do good things for the praise of people, you'll receive a reward, but it's, it's, it's not a very good reward. I have something better for you. So here's the question that Jesus introduces to us. Who do we really care about pleasing, man or God? Now, we have to be honest with that because I'll be honest with you guys. There's a fraction of you here that's normally here and, and, and a lot of people hate me right now anyways, so I can be honest this morning. I struggle with affirmation sometimes. My love language is words of affirmation. And so if I'm being honest, there are times when I do things just you know, so people don't hate me, right? Or, or, or people will like me. And I need to get that in check because God is telling us we need to get to the core of that and we need to make sure we are pleasing him before we please anyone else. We need to be very, very careful with that. And also, Jesus doesn't say that all public acts of good things are, are bad. Jesus did a lot of good things in public. He healed people. He miraculously fed 5,000 people in one sitting. It was actually a lot more than that. It was only counting the men, so it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 people that he was feeding at one time, right, miraculously. That was a very public act. And Jesus knew that sometimes you have to do public acts of good work to teach other people how to do good acts of work. And, and he did that to set an example, to highlight the kingdom of God. Our church does that. We've been selling that jewelry that, that was made by kids in Africa, and that's not so we can just get online and talk about how wonderful we are, but we promote those things so more people will give the money so we can buy more Bibles so more people in Uganda can have a copy of the scripture. That's not a bad thing. That's an okay thing. The question when we do good things in public, even the Bible says, do your good works so men will glorify God in heaven. The question isn't, should we go out and do good things in public? The question is, who are we illuminating when we do that? Is it making us look better or are we deflecting all the glory to God? And if we're deflecting all the glory to God, that's okay. That's a good thing, all right? So the point is pretty simple. Who is it about? It's about God. So I'm convinced of this. I said this last night, and I think this is what got this young lady that came up and talked to me. I said this last night. I think at the core of most humans, the greatest desire of most humans is to be understood, to be known. That's why we have Facebook accounts, right? This is me. This is the music I like. This is where I like to go. These are things that I find funny or interesting or whatever the case may be. I want you to know me, right? That's, that's the greatest thing about our society right now is we want to be known. The trick with Christians is this. We have to understand that we are known. Maybe not by all the people around us, but the creator of the universe knows us. The Bible says, even before we were knit together in our mother's womb, I knew everything about you. So we are validated, we are known, we are loved, we are understood, maybe not by people, but by God, and that is greater than people. So this takes balance. It takes wisdom, it takes confidence, but all those things only come by the grace of God. So if we're going to feel content, if we're going to feel joy, we have to continually go back to him. We have to lean on him for that contentment, for that affirmation, for that feeling of comfort and peace that we all are looking for. So several times in this, in this uh, half chapter we're gonna cover today, Jesus says, truly I tell you. 
Now, whenever Jesus says, truly, I tell you, that's one of those things you should kind of perk up a little bit, right? Because he's going to tell us something extra special, if you will. So Jesus is going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about praying. He's going to talk about fasting. But when he says, truly, I tell you, what he's doing is he's trying to get to the heart of us. What are your motives? Why are you doing the things you're doing? Okay? So we just talked about giving. Let's talk about prayer. Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, Don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. There's a lot in this. So the theme around prayer is almost identical to the theme around giving. Jesus' teaching on how to pray is almost exactly the same, okay? So Jesus wasn't prohibiting public prayer, just like he wasn't prohibiting public acts of service. But he is asking what is the heart behind public prayer. Basically what Jesus was saying is this, if we only pray when people are watching and we don't pray in private, something's probably wrong, right? If we only pray on the weekend when we're in church service, but we don't pray with our kids, we don't have a prayer life individually, we don't pray for our spouse, we don't do these, you know, we don't pray in our car on our way to work. Does anyone else think that people probably think they're crazy? I talk in my car a lot, I'm talking to God, and I don't obviously have like a Bluetooth thing going on, so people are like, that guy is insane, right? Because I'm just talking fervently driving around at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday, just speaking in my car, looks a little insane. So what Jesus is getting at is this. What you claim to be in public, you also need to be in private. That's what Jesus is saying when it comes to prayer. He also says, when you pray, don't just babble, don't ramble on. Guys, this is probably the most interesting thing about this lesson today. Maybe one of the most interesting things about chapter six in, in its entirety is this. Right before we come to the most repeated, mindlessly repetitious thing in the entire Bible, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, don't just mindlessly repeat things. You guys find that fascinating? It's the, it's the most quoted and probably least thought about scripture in the entire Bible. And right before it, Jesus says, don't just mindlessly repeat things. Now, that does not mean that the Lord's Prayer is bad. It doesn't mean that it's bad that you pray it over your children or even say it every single day. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But we must think about the weight of what Jesus is saying in that prayer. We must really think about what, and we're going to break it down line by line here in a second. There's nothing wrong with repeating that prayer as long as we understand the depth of that prayer. So we have to be careful with just repetition. Jesus says, even the pagans, he says Gentiles in this translation, but basically all people who don't follow the real God, he said what they would do in Jesus' time is they would repeat the same prayers to their gods over and over and over again, thinking they would basically wear their God down to do what they want him to do. So whatever the God that they would choose, right? Zeus, let's say it was Zeus. Zeus, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they thought if they just repeated it enough, like a child that says, can I have this, can I have this, can I have this? And finally the parent goes, okay, just be quiet, right? I've never, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that before, but that's how they thought of it. 
And Jesus says, you don't have to mindlessly repeat the same thing. Just pray and simply ask in faith. I don't know if anyone else in the room does this. I fall into this trap when it comes to repentance. There was about a month or a month and a half ago, I can't remember, I had lost my cool about something and chewed someone out. I acted like a real idiot and I believe it was sinful and I went to that person, I asked for their forgiveness and they forgave me and then I went to God and I'm like, God, I am so sorry that I acted like that. That was a wrong way to act and I, I believe God forgave me in that moment but I don't know if anyone else does this. I probably ask for forgiveness about, forgiveness about 19 times later that week, right? God, I'm so sorry I did this. God, I'm so sorry I did this. And it was probably day three or four of me asking for forgiveness for the same thing. I almost felt like God kind of like squeezed my throat a little bit and was like, you don't have to ask anymore. I forgave you the first time, right? You were genuinely sorry the first time. You don't have to repeat this thing mindlessly over and over and over again. Stop. I almost felt like God told me to do that. So we don't have to beg God to forgive us over and over and over again if we were sincere the first time. So remember that when we pray, okay? You don't have to mindlessly babble. Prayer is also not informing God. God already knows. Hey, Lord, I don't know if you know what's going on down here with this coronavirus thing. He knows. He knew before he created the earth, right? He knew what was going on. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is us expressing to God, and prayer is really expressing to ourselves that we are on board with whatever his will is. Whatever your will is, I'm in, God, right? Whatever you say goes, and I wanna let you, you already know it, but I wanna express to you that, and I wanna express to myself that. So the real question is this. When we pray, do we mean what we say? Are we sincere? I think a lot of us try to kind of selfishly beg our way into what we want, and we fail to pray, listen, to what God wants. We should be saying, Lord, what is your will? I wanna know your will, and whatever your will is, I wanna jump on that. I may want these things, but God, I want your will more than I want my will. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our motive behind our prayers? So Jesus says, therefore, pray like this. Now, before we get into the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is not a magical formula. The Lord's Prayer is a template. And what he's saying, he says, pray like this. You don't have to pray this exact phrase every single time you pray, but use this structure, use this guideline. What we've done with our following Jesus class is we took the Lord's Prayer, we broke it down, and we made an acronym, pray, right? And all that acronym means is praise, which means put God first. We'll get to that here in a second. Repent, ask for God to forgive us. Another, pray for other people besides yourself. And then yourself, pray for yourself. Very simple, right? That's taking what the Lord said, pray like this, and we create a way to where you can fill in the blanks however you want, but we kind of use this structure. Here's the thing. Whenever we pray, I believe God should be the initial starting point of all prayer. What that means is, God, I need this, this, this. No, 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 that comes last. First and foremost, God, you're good. God, you're holy. God, you know all, you see all. I may not understand, but you understand. Jesus goes on later to say in the Gospel of Matthew that if we seek first the kingdom of God, everything else starts to work out. So our prayer should start with an emphasis on God's kingdom. And then eventually it gets to our needs, but it needs to start off with God's kingdom, okay? Let's get into the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So let's break this down a little bit. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. This indicates that to the Christian, right, our first focus, we should have a desire, a a, a longing to talk to God. And when we do talk to God, this is something I, I feel very passionate about. We're not to flippantly approach God. God is God. God is the creator of all things. And though he is, yes, our, our, our father, he is our friend, the scripture says, but he is also the creator. He is in control. And we should approach him with awe and we should approach him with reverency. If you get into the book of Revelation, be an interesting one to read right now, get into chapter four, And in chapter four, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, said there was a sea of glass around the throne of God. Symbolically, that sea of glass, it kind of represents the chasm between mankind and God. Not the chasm of our our relationship, but the difference between the creator and the creation. When we approach God, we're not on equal level. (laughs) He is God and we are not. We should approach him with reverence. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, that puts him first. We approach God knowing that he is perfect, that he is the answer to all of our problems. Let me tell you guys a story here real quick. So I was, uh, I was asked to be a part of, uh, of this, this huge conference in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. I flew down there and took a couple of people from our, our team down there and and uh, Andy Stanley was the main speaker, and I was like the guy that you had to get out of magnifying glass. And you're like, there's Corey down there in the corner. Um, but anyways, I was at this conference, and, and uh, all these big wigs there, and people who've done all this stuff, and I weaseled my way in there somehow. And, and so I'm on this stage, and there's a forum with all these other pastors who have you know, big churches, and they've done these things, and they've written these books, and, and people are asking us questions. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of this, this thing up on the stage. The, the gentleman sitting next to me is a West African man named Shadonke Johnson. I've gotten to know him. He's a, he's a wonderful man, lives in Sierra Leone, does a lot of work in Nigeria, and uh, never written any books, doesn't have a one single church that is huge. No one really knows who he is. And he's up on the stage, and everyone's asking all these questions about how do you do this, and what's your strategy, and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you a little bit about Shadonke. Shadonke last year started 1,250 churches in Sierra Leone and Nigeria. 36,000 people in one year came to Christ. He baptized 18,000. That was last year. In the last 10 years, he has baptized 800,000 Muslims in Nigeria and Sierra Leone. He has planted more churches and grown the kingdom of God more than any American pastor or any 12 American pastors you can think of combined. And this guy's as humble as the day is long. And so everyone's asking these questions to these famous American pastors, you know? And I'm just kind of sitting there just in the middle like a crossfire. And so all this is happening. Shadonke's sitting right next to me. And they would say, Shadonke, what do you think? How do you reach all these people? How does the world change? How do we start more churches? How do we baptize more people? He said, in Africa, we pray and we fast. And everyone's like, That doesn't make up a book, right? You can't write about that. 
And so everyone's just kind of dumbfounded for a second. Everyone gets back in their American mode, right? Well, what about this? And what about that? And can we synergize and strategize and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he gets back to Shadonke and he goes, in Africa, we pray and we fast. And after about the sixth time he said that, I just looked at him and I'm like, this guy has something figured out that no one else in this room does. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. He is the answer to the problem. He is the one that, that, that all hope rests on. He is the one that is going to change the world. He's the one that's going to come back for his bride. And where we have missed it in the United States is we keep going back to our pathways and our strategies when it all begins with prayer and fasting. It all begins with Jesus Christ. All right, did I get off the track? So that's worth clapping about, yeah. The second thing Jesus says, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this, it is an acknowledgement that our world systems are broken and we need God's kingdom to come down and interject itself into our kingdoms. Praying this shows humility. It shows that we understand that Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind. We also need to remember, though, this does not give us a license to be lazy. We are to go out and be the workers in the field. But listen, any fruit that comes up from those fields, it's not because we're good. It's because God is good. He is the producer, not us. We are the workers, but he is the one that makes the, pro the produce come up. He is the one that makes something happen, okay? He says, give us today our daily bread. We can take this at face value that we should be praying, God, provide for me. We need food, we need shelter, we need clothing. God, we need these things and we trust you to give it to us. Now again, this does not condone laziness. I've had so many people over the years come up to me and they're like, I prayed for God to provide, Corey, and he's just not. And I'm like, well, what's your job? Well, I don't work, I just pray for God to provide. And I'm like, he did, he provided legs, arms, right? The ability to think. You can go out and get a job, make some money. That's how you buy bread if there's any left in any grocery stores that you can go do those things, right? So God has provided for you. You're looking at it incorrectly, but we are to pray for God to open up the door for us to have provision. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Whenever we sin, we place ourselves in debt to God. The only way that debt is relieved is when we ask for God to forgive us of that debt, that sin. We also do not gain forgiveness by offering forgiveness. That's a big misinterpretation. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is, is there is a cycle that when God forgives us because we understand God's grace, we should show that grace to others and forgive them. And when we are forgiving other people, we're acting like God, right, in a good way, that we're, we're mimicking God's grace to other people. And when we're doing that cycle, the more we show forgiveness and act like God, the more grace and mercy God shows us and it loops over and over and over again. But the only way we're forgiven is we have to go to God first. And because he forgives, we are also to forgive and on and on the cycle goes. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. These are preventative steps. I think this is extremely important. Here's the bottom line with this. If we would pray more on the front end, we would have to repent less on the back end. There's a band that said, uh, <laughs> we keep our confessions long, but when we pray, we keep it short. If we would pray more on the front end, there would be less confessing on the back end because God would protect us from those temptations. He would deliver us from that evil, but we have to be preventative. This is, this is basically not waiting until our soul gets sick, but praying that God to God that our soul does not get sick. 
keep us away from those contaminants that, that hurt our soul, right? That's what he's saying here. Okay, last part. Jesus says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, some of you uh, who went through our 40-day fast, this, this kind of hits home a little bit, right? Um, it's easy to walk into your job after you haven't had coffee for 32 days and be dragging along, and everyone's like, what's wrong, Corey? And I'm like, oh. Have you ever tried to give up coffee for 32 days? It's pretty rough, right? But, but I'm not supposed to do that. What is fasting? Fasting is simply sacrificing a comfort, putting it aside so we can pray and meditate. We typically think about fasting in regard to just food, and that's a big part of it. But I'll tell you what, in our day and age, I think it does more for our soul to fast Netflix. You should probably fast the news right now. That's a good fast to do right now, right? You should fast some of these things that are, are, are a comfort to you, a distraction to you. Take that excess time. You'll be shocked at how much you have if you fast media for a while, if you fast social media, all these things. Get off that junk for a minute. You'll find that you have a lot more time to pray, a lot more time to read your word, a lot more time to meditate on good things. So Jesus doesn't give us a lot of specifics about fasting. He doesn't tell us exactly how to do it or when to do it or, or any of that stuff. But he focuses on the heart of it. In the Old Testament, you had to fast. It was mandatory. But Jesus doesn't like approaching things like that. He doesn't do the whole like, you have to thing because it's a bad question. So Jesus doesn't say you have to fast, but he says, here's the good about fasting. It brings you closer to God. It changes the way you think. It resets your priorities. It's not about an obligation. It's about this desire to be closer to our creator. That's the way Jesus approaches fasting. And so it all goes back to the heart. That's where we keep going back to today. Oh, I didn't realize I was making a little heart thing right there. But anyways, we keep going back to the heart. And so Jesus warns us not to make ourselves look malnourished when we're fasting, right? Like the person that drops the Bible in the coffee shop, the one that goes to work and everyone's like, what's wrong? And you're like, I have not eaten in three days. Oh, because I'm so spiritual. Let me just tell you, people don't like you when you do that. Let me tell you another story because I got a little bit of time. Um, this 40-day fast that our church has been doing for 11 years or whatever, I started off doing that about 15 years ago, something like that. And um, when I was doing it 15 years ago, uh, when I first started it, I wouldn't tell anyone that I was doing it. I just did it by myself. I didn't let anyone know. I think my wife knew, but that was it. And when I used to do the first, uh, when I used to do the 40-day fast when I first started doing it, the last 10 days of the fast, I would eat nothing. I would only drink water. Guys, I don't know if you've ever done that before. About eight days into not eating food, you can smell food about a quarter of a mile away, right? You start looking at people kind of weird at that point. You're like, anyways, so, so it had been about eight days and I hadn't eaten any food. Um, I just started working at the church I got saved in. Someone was having a birthday. I can't remember who it was. And so in the youth room and in the room for students, they'd had this huge party and all four walls were just lined with food. Man, Pentecostal people know how to eat. And it was just food everywhere. And I walk in and it was, I was sitting there looking around and I was like, what in the heck? And no one knew I was fasting. So people are coming up with like a big tray of buffalo wings. They're like, Pastor Corey, you want some buffalo wings? And I'm like, 
I don't like buffalo wings. And I'm like, God, you got to forgive me for that lie. I'm in the middle of fasting. <laughs> People are coming up with cupcakes. Corey, you like cupcakes? I'm like, oh, I'm not into sweets. That's too God. You know, like... <laughs> But I remember reading this passage before I started doing that fast. I'm like, God, I got to just act like everything's cool. Because if I act like everything's not cool, they may think I'm awesome, but I, I, I skip out on my reward from you. So here's the thing. When we fast, when we do anything good, we're to act like everything's normal. Because here's what happens. And I put this little zing on here to overemphasize. It is self-righteous when we try to convince everyone that it is really tough being as good as we are. You guys ever know these people are just like, you know, everyone thinks their life is a little bit tougher than everyone else's. Man, it's tough. It's tough being me. Sacrifice so much, give so much, work so hard. It's so tough being me. Guys, we live in the United States of America. We live in the most free, prosperous nation that's ever existed on planet Earth. If you think it's so awful to live here and it's so awful to be us, you should go with me to Uganda sometime. You should see what it looks like to see a seven-year-old kid dig through the trash naked, trying to find something to either eat or play around and kick around. You should, you should go with me and experience that sometime and come back and tell me how rough it is here, right? How bad we have it. It's crazy. But anyways, let's get back to us for a second. The underlining current in Matthew chapter six is this question. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Jesus wants to go beyond religion. I'm not talking about like how many Facebook posts you have of the scripture you've read. I'm not talking about all the Christian tattoos you have or the shirts you wear. Or I'm not talking about how you look when you're in the coffee shop. Jesus is saying, I wanna go deeper than that. Are you really pursuing me? How is your heart? Where is your heart? So if you're a believer in this room, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna venture to say the majority of us in this room this morning are. At our services, we have a lot of non-believers on a typical weekend, but, but this weekend's probably a little bit different, right? So I'd say the majority of us in this room are believers. If you're a believer in this room, let me ask you this question. Does your Tuesday self look like your Sunday self? That's why I'm so adamantly against, and again, I'm not trying to look down on any churches that do this. This is why I'm so adamantly against wearing your Sunday best, because we've created masks. Everyone comes to church, they look pristine, they smile, everyone's teeth is straight, they're passing out their business cards, right? They're networking on the weekend, looking good, everyone's good, and they're cheating on their wife on Tuesday. I'm just not gonna play that game. We're gonna look the same on the weekend as we look on the weekday. We're gonna be who we are every single day of the week. So Christian, are you the same right now as you are in your office? Are you the same right now as you are at one o'clock in the morning when the laptop's open? Are you the same now as you are when people are not looking. I fear that a lot of Christians are gonna to try to manipulate their way into heaven. Just like Jesus says on the day of judgment, a lot of people are gonna be lined up and they're gonna say, but Jesus, we did all these things in your name. I got a tattoo with your name on it. I posted the Instagram pic with your name on it. When I was in public and everyone was looking at me, I did these things in your name and Jesus is gonna say, depart from me because we don't know each other. We don't have a relationship. I think a lot of us are trying to manipulate even God, right? We may trick everyone else, but God knows the condition of our heart. Let me also ask you this, Christian. Who are we trying to impress? I hate to tell you we're never gonna win over people that don't care to know the truth. So why do we keep trying? We, we, we are constantly trying to impress other people. We're trying, constantly trying to impress each other. But let me ask, who is this really about? Is it about God 
Or is it about others? Or is it about us? And so I think so many of us come into church thinking, what can I get out of this? Guys, when we sing those worship songs, those songs are not about you. You're not worth worshiping. I'm not worth worshiping. He's the only one worth worshiping. All those songs are about him. They're not about you. That's why I don't like worship songs that are always talking about all of us, right, and how great we are. That's not worship. Worship is only designated for God. It's not about us. When we break open the word, of course, we're blessed by the word. We're blessed by worship. Here's the odd thing about God. When we make it all about him, he blesses us. When we take our focus off of ourselves and put it on him, just like I said earlier, when we focus first on the kingdom of God, we are taken care of. God takes care of us. But if you're being honest today, who is this about? Really, who are we trying to impress? If you do pray, if you do fast, if you do give, all the things that the scripture talks about today, those are all good things. But I wanna go a step beyond that. Why do you do those things? Why do you do those things? Do you do those things just to, just to look impressive? Do you do those things just to get a get out of hell free card? Why do you do those things? Or do you do those things because you love your creator? because you love the community around you. If you're in here this morning and you're a non-believer, and man, I can even ask the believers in the room this question. Has a pursuit of the things of the world. Right now, the narrative of the world is self. Self-revelation, self-identity. It is all about the recognition of the individual. Guys, let me get a little funny on you today, a little squirrely on you today. That is the bedrock of satanic thought. Go into Genesis chapter three. Do you know the devil never tries to get anyone to worship him? He does once with Jesus when he's fasting, but he never tries to get humans to worship him. That's not the, that's not the point. In Genesis chapter three, he goes up to the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he says, if you eat from that, you'll be a god. If you buy a copy of the satanic Bible, which don't do that, Anton LaVey wrote it in the 1960s. If you open up the Satanic Bible, the Black Bible, there's a quote by a really happy fellow named Aleister Crowley in there, who is the, the, the godfather of all occultism in the United States. If you read what Aleister Crowley says, it's called the Law of Thelema. The Law of the Thelema, the bedrock of Satanism, simply says, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. All that means is do what you wanna do. Do what you wanna do. No one should be able to tell you what you can and can't do. That is the bedrock of Satanism. But here, here's my question in all this to everyone in this room. How has that worked out for society? How has it worked out for you as an individual? Do all the likes on Facebook when you post that really inappropriate selfie, do all the likes on there make you feel validated? Does it make you feel good? Is it enough? If it is, then why do you have to post 600 of them? Why is it never? Because it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't get to the core of us. Where does our sense of value come from? Does it come from our parents? Because some of us in this room don't have parents. Does it come from the affirmation of those around us? Well, we may not always get that. So how do we find fulfillment? How do we find a sense of value? Let me ask you, are you satisfied? Are you content? Do you have joy and peace? Or are you restless? I don't mean that to be condescending to anyone in this room, but we have to be honest with ourselves today. Has the pursuit of what we've wanted worked out the way we've wanted? I can argue that it has not. So what is our desire of our heart? What is it that you truly want this morning? 
why do we do the things we do? Why do we say the things we say and go to the places we go to and go to the links to impress the people that we try to impress? Why do we do the things we do? The question is really this, and this is for everyone in the room. Why are you here this morning? Why are you watching this morning? What is it that you want? Are you looking for pleasure? Are you looking for a warm feeling? Are you looking for some deep sense of peace and contentment? Are we looking from affirmation? Or are we looking for the truth? Regardless of what the truth says, are we pursuing the truth? Because according to the words of Jesus Christ, the only thing that will set us free is the truth. That is it. So I have to ask you, what is your pursuit of this morning? Where is the state of our heart? Where are we at? What are we looking for? What are we longing for? So on Facebook, I had posted that uh, uh, we weren't gonna do communion. Listen, just like keeping the doors open here, I'll be honest with you guys, you don't have to take it. Please don't feel any pressure, but we have communion for you this morning. I did not feel right in my spirit not offering you the body and blood of Jesus Christ this morning. I just couldn't. Now listen, we, we prepared it with, with gloves. We do that every week with gloves, and it's very, very sterile and clean, and, and we have wiped everything down in this church. And if you do not feel comfortable taking that, my Lord, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. But I, in good conscience, could not offer you uh, communion this morning. Um, so it's available this morning, wherever there's a lamp on a table. Good thing is, you, look, you don't have to wait in a long line for it this morning. You can get it. You have all kinds of time to pray and reflect on the cross. Like always, though, I, I, I ask you, you have to ask for God's forgiveness before you take the body and blood of Jesus. If you're in this room and you're a believer, you are more than welcome to take that or not take it this morning. I understand. If you're in this room and you are not a believer and you have any questions, Pastor Mike is walking up here. He'll be on, on my right, your left of the stage. If you have any questions, please don't be afraid to ask or talk to him. There's also men and women to pray. And again, I understand that, that with everything that's going on, you can stand an arm's length distance from them and, and, and just tell them whatever your prayer request is and they'll pray for you from a distance, okay? Listen, I wanna encourage you guys this week, regardless of what happens, I, I, I want you to hear it from me and I want you to know it deep in your heart. Regardless of what happens, God is still in charge. He's still on the throne. He's still sovereign, okay? I don't, I don't care what Fox says. I don't care what CNN says. I don't care what any human says. God is in control. He is in control. Remember that this week. I also wanna tell you this. You need to be praying for your nation. You need to be praying for the world right now. Whether you, again, whether you like him or not, you need to pray for our president. Whether you like our mayor or not, you need to pray for your mayor. I can't imagine the stress on Shane. He's a good man and he's doing the best he can in this situation. You need to pray for Shane. Pray for the pastors in this community. Be praying for our community. And again, people are gonna judge us for being open today and they're gonna judge other churches for being closed. But until one has been put in that position, no one really knows how stressful that is and how many nights of, of not sleeping a lot of us have gone through. So please pray for those, those men and women. Please pray for me, guys. Pray for your family, be smart, but also trust in the Lord, okay? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we love you. God, this is, uh, this is a national day of prayer, and it's so fitting, God, because we need to be praying. God, right now, we wanna pray for our president, Lord. We wanna pray for his wisdom. We wanna pray, God, that you keep your hand on he and, and all of our congressmen and congresswomen, Lord Jesus. 
that you give them all wisdom. Lord, we pray for our local government. We pray for our police officers and firefighters. And Lord, we pray for MTSU and our high schools and middle schools and elementary schools. We pray for all the churches in our community, Father, that you would give us wisdom during this time to know what to do and to be the light of our communities. God, bless my brothers and sisters in this room. Protect them. Keep them strong, Lord. Thank you, God, for our time together this morning. Thank you for the comfort and knowledge that your word gives us. And Lord, let us not be living in fear, but to be living deep and abiding in you, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Father. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name. Man, I love you guys more than you know. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.